gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of ESSR Central. My name is David Hockney, and this is the weekly show on Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet, where we cover all the biggest news stories from the world of wrestling in the last week. If you're listening to us on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, or all good podcasting sites, uh, be sure to find us on there. And if you haven't subscribed yet, do so right now. We're also on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. Make sure you follow us there. And also check out our YouTube channel, where we have regular recurring shows, including The Conspiracy Theory, hosted by David Campbell, and also Quiz Showdown, which uh, is hosted by Daniel Campbell. Uh, speaking of Quiz Showdown, I'd like to introduce my panel for today's discussion. Uh, up first, uh, he is the man who, ahead of the following Quiz Showdown episode, which will be coming out soon, has had to cram in about 44 hours worth of uh, study material to make sure he puts in an Ironman of a performance uh, ahead of head of this showdown, it is Mr. 44 himself and my Saturday Draft Live co-host, Scott McLeod. Hello David, yes, uh, never gets old 44, but honestly I, I promise you for all of you who are actually awaiting the latest quiz showdown, it will be a war of attrition, I guarantee you. <laughs> well, you know what, I think I speak on behalf of all of us on the team when we look forward to seeing what happens in that showdown, and I wish you best of luck. Up next, uh, he is the founder of Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, and he's actually just signed a contract where he's been obliged to run his own Twitch streaming service, although the only thing he's ended up with now is a bit of a nervous Twitch. It is Stephen Wilson. Oh, I see if I had a Twitch, David, it would literally just be uh, Fall Guys and FIFA. And if, as you know, David, when you watch me play Fall Guys, I don't always do very well. <laughs> hey, neither do I, but you know, I've heard Among Us is the, the new thing when it comes to, to streaming now. Would you be doing that as well? Uh, Yes, now that I know how to play it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you just watch me get killed in the boiler room, you know, and a mankind. But that's not all of us here because today uh, on ESSR Central, we actually have a very special guest joining us today. He is one of the top WWE writers for Mirror Sport. Uh, so please welcome to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet, Mr. John Isherwood. John, how are you? I'm very good, thanks. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on board. We can't wait to get uh, get your insight into you know the world of wrestling now that we've uh, read a few of your articles through Mirror Sport. It'd be great to see like how we hear it from uh, from the man himself. Thank you very much. Okay, so I'd like to kick things off with uh, a story that's been circulating around uh, the world of wrestling. And it's uh, unfortunately, it's quite a negative story in light of, uh, it doesn't paint WWE in a very good light as it, as it stands, because there have been stories going around that WWE talent are now being contractually forced uh, to stream on Twitch. Uh, so there's been like new contract updates where they say, if you sign this new deal, you must uh, be streaming on on Twitch. And, which is a bit of a shame really, because this comes with the announcement that WWE has been banning third party engagement for its talents. So it has put up into the air, you know, how superstars are going to interact with their fans in an, in an alternate way. And Scott, I want to start off with you on this one. With so much uh, social media out there, do you think this is going to be a bigger hindrance to WWE talent if they can engage their fa- engage with their fans outside of the WWE bubble? I think so, because with this whole, like, you need to stream a certain amount of, of times, has been gradually allocated. Also, it's depending on those who already have Twitch streams. It's not a case of, you're yeah, signed this contract, you need to start your own Twitch service. 
don't care what you put on it, but, but also like I think people donate money through Twitch to support their Twitch like content creators. And I think if people know that WWE are taking a bit of that money, I think they're going to be less inclined to do it. It's going to feel less authentic. It's just going to be like a WWE owned thing. Like when you listen to that bloody After the Bell podcast, it just feels like such a WWE based podcast. And yeah, I think with the more you hear about this story, the more it just seems to snowball and not in WWE's favour. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Stevie, we already have some form of engagement with WWE talent on third-party platforms. Like a lot of them uh, are on, like they're already on Twitch under their own accounts. But one that's actually grabbed a lot of attention is Up, Up, Down, Down, hosted by uh, Austin Creed, or as we know him in WWE, Xavier Woods. Uh, how do you think this is going to play a factor with uh, a third-party channel that's been so heavily advertised uh, through the means of social media and its links with WWE? Yeah, it's an interesting one. It's a, it's a hard one to kind of fathom because obviously WWE promote, you see them promote up, up, down, down at times as well. You see it a lot on, you know, the UD, the most pop, three of the most popular stars in the, in the company in terms of the merchandising and what they interact with the fans. So it's... To, if you were to just kind of say to them, take the kind of it takes may take away the creativity from it in terms of them. Uh, it's a hard one to kind of it's it's a big thing because it's it. It's bit, we've upped up down down as well. They tend to they do interact with non WWE talent as well. You know, mm-hmm. in the past they've had things with the elite with Kenny Omega. Kenny Omega is a massive gamer. So if it was to go, that was to go in WWE's hands, you know, you're instantly going to get stuck with um, internally. You know. They might end up having to stream with uh, Davari. <laughs> Who wants to watch that? <laughs> I don't know. I think I might be quite interested in seeing. No, they, 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 not the old Davari. I'm talking about the, his, his brother or his cousin, whoever oh, it is, right. his nephew or something. Aria <laughs> Davari, the guy in 205 Live. Yep, yep, got you there. Uh, now, John, um, one, one uh, person in the USA that actually this has brought up attention to is uh, former presidential candidate Andrew Yang. And he has actually come out on Twitter and said that if the the Democrats get elected into the House and to the Senate uh, this election year, he's uh, he's been saying that the Democrats will carry out an investigation into the the working practices of WWE and you know whether their status uh, the talent status is either employees or independent contractors. Do you think this uh, is going to create quite a big potential legal issue if the government gets involved with? how they treat their workers? There's lots of ifs and maybes with this, obviously with the very delicate political state in in America right now. But I know Andrew Yang, from looking at him uh, in the past, he's very big on employment law. He's very big on how employees are treated. Now, independent contractors as WWE superstars are, it's such a strange status. And I think that's why there's so much focus on it because they're getting this guarantee to work for this one company, yet, they're basically self-employed. It's it's such a strange contract. Yet now they're seeing this Twitch platform and the fact that they can make money elsewhere. And from a business point of view, Vince is probably going, well, I want some of that. So let's get it into your contracts. Mm-hmm. And it could become very sticky very fast. And th- there's lots of rumors about how the, there's a number of superstars really hoping that Biden wins and Andrew Yang could get onto the employment, whatever the employment position is in, in America, I can't remember what it's exactly called. But if he gets in there and starts this investigation, as you said, it could become very, very sticky and there may be a, a lot of changes to the way these contracts are drawn up. And, and now with uh, Paige tweeting about this, talking about reading up into unions, there's been 
a, a lot of talk for many years about a union in pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's never come about. And it's because of the power of the, the, the company that they're working for. Why would you kind of try to go against that without any huge major backing? But this could be that huge major backing that they really do need mm-hmm. to take things forward with their new contract negotiations. If, if they have to stream, they, they, your contract says you have to stream for X amount of time. These guys are so busy as it is now. I mean, we've all seen the media tours. We've all seen how much work they do. Adding that into their day, which they may not be able to do at certain times, it's going to be so difficult. Yeah, don't you? There's going to be a point, but they'll well, they'll snap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you've touched on a really good point as well, and that's something I want to ask uh, Stephen and Scott. One thing that John mentioned there is that Paige has actually been tweeting about. Uh, researching unionism and it's also been followed up with uh, Zelina Vega as well who's quite an active uh, Twitch streamer in her own right and she's made multiple appearances on Up Up Down Down as well so Scott do you think this is uh, this could be the sign of a potential uh, like I don't want to say maybe more of a I'll say pushback more of a pushback from uh, talent signed under WWE I think so because WWE want to keep their talent like happy because they know that they can go elsewhere. It's been like made clear over the last year or so when they're trying to sign people down to longer contracts so they don't lose people. And also with the Andrew Yang thing and everything, uh, it's very similar to last year when we had the John Oliver like special when he did that full expose into WWE and really brought to light to a lot of people who probably weren't even interested in how bad the contract state is and the independent contractors thing is. Mm-hmm. I think with more pressure they get out from outside the world of, of wrestling, and more in the mainstream, I think WWE will suddenly start to look like this could really look bad PR for us, and they might hopefully you'd hope they look into it. And like people have been th- talking about a union since like the eighties, like famously that's why Jesse Ventura left before because allegedly Hulk Hogan went behind his back and formed Vince that the wrestlers were trying to unionize. So it's been something that should have probably happened a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thing about the you guys mentioned as well about the uh, the fact that people will go to these Twitch streams, etc. more for the superstar or the wrestler involved. I mean, I know the likes of Big E, he's quite big on one of the other platforms. It's not Twitch, I can't remember the one it is. The one with Cameo, he, isn't Cameo, it? Cameo, Cameo, yeah. yeah he's, he, he's massive on that. I believe as well as Dakota Kai, she donates a significant amount of her Twitch earnings to charity. Yeah, so I, think fact, she, I think it's like 90% of her earnings she donates to the charity. Yeah, it's like they all do it for good causes. Yeah, so if it was then the shift that WWE gets a, a succession of this money, mm-hmm. is she, uh, uh, are people going to donate as much as well? The, the independent contractor thing, it's, it's, it's a crazy scenario that we're in 2020 and it's still this thing with the WWE professional wrestling with it, the fact. Mm. They are independent contractors in, on paper, so they have to get their own health insurance, they have to get their, make their own travel arrangements, etc, etc. But yet, when it comes down to all this one, it's WWE's way or the highway. Mm. It's the same with the creative side of things at times. It's the same with this. You know, it does brings it. It's very, very old school corporate America. They've almost lost a bit of the, the, the that sort of power they had. Well, if you get here, you've gone to the WWE. You've got a contract with us. You may be an independent contractor, but come on, where else are you going to go? Well, actually, there's there's more places to go now. I could go to Impact. I could go to AEW. I could get treated a lot better. Mm. Going to other companies, so you can't hold that over us anymore. And as you were talking before about the amount of money that they get, because obviously there's the there's the different tiers, isn't it? I know, like Scott, you mentioned this before. 
the, about the amount of subscriptions to get. I heard the other day, like Paige's subscriptions, she gets about 50 grand a month, apparently. Now, I don't know how true that is, but she apparently gets about 50 grand a month. Hmm. I'm not surprised in many ways that they want a slice I'm of not, that. I'm not, sure if it was, I'm not sure if it was 50 grand a month. Uh, from from what I heard, I think it was about 100K annually. Is it? Yeah, I think it was as much. Maybe that's a, the, the new subscribers, I don't know, but that's what some, that, I think it was on another podcast I heard the other day. Mm. Uh, maybe those figures were inflated, but my if word. Gets, if she gets that, I'd love to see what the uh, Woods gets. Up, up, down, down. Oh, yeah, ridiculous. Like, yeah, must he, just, he just launched the uh, up, up, down, down clothing range as well, so he'll be he'll be raking it in at this. They're point. fully supported with that, aren't they, by WWE? Because they sell it via the shop. They sell it via WWE shop. The no, up, up, down, down clothing. Uh, the up, up, down, down clothing. I don't know if it's on WWE's website, but they have their own link to the up, up, down, down store. I don't know. I'm if sure I... they help them do it. I'm, I'm sure they they help them set it up. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's like a, a subsidiary of WWE, and if mm. that's the case, then they're probably okay. But one other thing, just so I just want to touch on one more thing before we move on, uh, and I'm going to open it out to to, uh, to everyone here. I think the last time WWE took a step forward when it came to social media was all the way back in 2011, when Zack Ryder, or as we now know as Matt Cardona, his real name, he, when he launched Z True, True Long Island Story, he did that all under his own power, and yet... And then all of a sudden, WWE gets involved with the social media aspect side of things. They were, you know, looking at Vine videos. Uh, they were wanting to stream more content on YouTube just to reach that wider audience. Do you think this is like a pattern of behavior WWE's gotten into where they see all oh, their, their talent are making more money, like without our help in a way, and now they're sort of just interjecting themselves and say, right, you have to do this now and we want some of the cuts. So do you think that's, yeah. a, bit, do you think that's a, a bit of history repeating itself? Yeah, uh, Vince has always been a Vince seems to see ever since The Rock went to Hollywood, and that time Vince is scared that somebody becomes bigger than the company. He had that with The Rock. He probably could say had it with Austin. He has it with John. C- had it with John Cena. That's kind of why he's kind of see he's kind of feared to push someone to that level of stardom. They're probably the closest one we've got. Becky Lynch is probably the closest they had to, it, and obviously she's off now raising a family. I don't know if she'll ever get to that level of stardom on that back because you have other commitments but as a case of Vince want, does not want to let somebody become so big that they become bigger than his company mm-hmm. uh, Scott what do you think? Yeah because like the Zack Ryder comparison I made that a, a couple weeks ago because he said on a, a Fightful interview that that's the main reason why he and uh, Brian Myers from like Arkin started their, their podcast while they were under WWE but using their own names because he learned from his experiences as like the host of each line of story because it took off he was using the WWE, his WWE name and WWE says that whatever content you make under your na- name we gave you, then they own. So if they started their podcast as Kurt Hawkins and Zack Ryder, once they got released, they probably would have to rebrand and do something different. And I think exactly, I was going to make similar points to Stephen in that they're worried about people getting too big and then leaving them because if certain people are making a certain amount of money outside of WWE, yeah. then eventually they're going to realise they can explore other avenues like, because I think Biggie joked about this cameo, that my cameo request he gets. He jokes like, "My full time work now is cameo, and I do wrestling on the side." Mm-hmm. That's how popular he is. Mm. Uh, John, any last thoughts uh, on this uh, Twitch story? Yeah, you, yeah, you kind of brought all this stuff up. Really, it's control, isn't it? It's it's that thing where Vince is sitting there going, "I made you. I don't want you to make more money off your name that I gave you." In effect. Mm-hmm. Then you know if, if you're not bringing it in through my doors, and you you do, you do have to kind of worry about that really because it is that 
that horrible situation where your boss has got this sort of hold on you. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, because Scott, you mentioned like Big E um, with the cameo thing. You know, he had it on his gear, didn't he? Book me on cameo. Uh, if you remember that, it, it, it was it. It wasn't the last pay per view. It was the one before it. Um, and he had it on his gear, and he had like, oh, you know, book me on cameo, just like down on a on a strip there. I wonder if that was the point where Vince went, what's this cameo thing? Uh, yeah, I, I didn't even notice that actually. Oh, yeah, been, he made a point of it. If you, if you watch a thing on the on the on the network, if you watch the the day of, he mentions it and he starts talking about it. So like, I've got book me on cameo, you know, and he had it on SmackDown as well. And I wonder oh. if that was the point where Vince sort of went, what what is this cameo thing? Started looking into it and went, wait a minute. I can make money out of this. What was the video thing that they used to have? See the thing they promoted quite heavily in every Tout. show. Tout. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, no like, Daniel Bryan loves it. He's still all over it. Family <laughs> oh. uh, on the same podcast of the episode of New Day's podcast where they revealed about Biggie's cameo. He had they had the iconics on who are apparently very popular on there as well. And Pete mm. Royce said she recommended Biggie to do cameo. And if you recommend somebody for cameo as soon as they start their account you get a bit of a kickback of the money they make so people like a referral own cameos and some of the big e so like again like the amount of money people can make off of cameos and also you've seen that recently people they started doing their own virtual meet and greets so i think they're trying to do something similar to that just under their own umbrella mm-hmm. i'm just having a quick look for big e now actually on cameo while while i'm at it because some of the prices that they put up there are ridiculous um, yeah, I, they were doing as much as they were doing as much hundred and fifty dollars for a meet and greet during SummerSlam weekend. It was it was insane. Yeah, it's it's a lot of money, isn't it? I mean, like just looking at some of the guys that are there now, like Bret Hart's one hundred and twenty five pounds. If you want to get a cameo from him, Matt Riddle's a hundred. Big E appears to have disappeared from it. Mm, do you think they uh, they responded now that he was uh, promoting his cameo on his gear and stuff? I think that's definitely, it's got to be that, hasn't it? Yeah, that's got to have something to do with it. Yeah. But imagine paying $100 for the Matt Riddle one, it just has five minutes of him going, bro. dollars <laughs> 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 to ask out Alexa Bliss, only for to politely say no. That's oh. Ryan Cabrera's in the background, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's uh, it's definitely a, a very weird situation with the whole Twitch streaming stuff, and I think we can only wait and see, you know, what happens uh, in the coming weeks to see if the WWE talent will respond to it or if they'll they'll go they'll cave into this new this new contract, and we'll see how it affects them on their their Twitch streaming. But on a lighter note, now I want to talk about NXT Takeover Thirty One, uh, which was emanating from the now renamed uh, the. Capital Wrestling Center, uh, formerly known as the Performance Center, so it's now got an official name. Uh, and it was, uh, it's sort of like a little nod to the Capital Wrestling Corporation, which was founded by Vince's uh, grandfather, Jess McMahon, and it was actually run by Vince Sr. So, Scott, do you think this, uh, this new sort of rebranding of an arena and just the whole redesign of it, including the the Zoom call setup they've got with the Thunderdome. Do you think this is like just another step forward in the development of NXT? Oh yeah, definitely. And also the callbacks from the Capital Wrestling Corporation. I think NXT, especially Triple H, loves like being homage to older wrestling. Like it's one of the few places tag wrestling is still a thing. You've got the North American title. NXT is basically a modern take on an actual wrestling territory at the minute. And I do like the idea that they've rebranded the Performance Center and uh, like the Capital Wrestling Center, like it gives its own distinct feel 
kind of like how the thund- they don't call it the Amway Center for Ron's band and they call it the Thunderdome. Mm-hmm. So it's on, on unique branding and I do like the, the mix of live people and the Thunderdome and with the measurement. I said in the group, our ASSR group chat that this is what uh, Raw Underground should look like with the metal like caging around the barrier and all that. That's, this looks more underground than Raw Underground. Uh, and Stephen, obviously, as Scott mentioned too, they've, they've not just got the the virtual audience on the Zoom screens, they've actually got people in the audience once again, uh, obviously surrounded by the plexiglass and wearing masks and stuff. Do you, I think, do you think despite, you know, the Florida being one of the hotspots uh, for coronavirus at the minute, do you think this is a bit of a, a risky move, having people actually in the arena, or do you think it's uh, another step forward to bringing people back as well as having the virtual audience? I bet you they can still get a pint. You know, during the day, one like here now, but that's a, that's a different rant for a different podcast. Uh, yeah, I think it's risky. I mean, I, I can see why they would do it. I mean, AEW does it now, and AEW's got this whole you're in your square type idea. And I thought they were maybe going to do something similar to that. But when you look, you know, when they go round it, they all seem very, very close together. I know they're all wearing masks, but I mean, obviously. We don't know really what the pro- what protocols are doing. They obviously must be testing people nowadays. If they want to test everything, they get slaughtered, you know. <laughs> but if they've got the right protocols, nothing that causes no outbreak or it, 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 it's a nice setting, you know. It's it combines, as Scott said, the the in the in crowd audience with the kind of Thunderdome kind of aspect to it. It's a bit different from the Thunderdome aspect. The layout of it's a bit different. The Thunderdome ones obviously is kept it's more you know, rounded type idea, but this one's just kind of like a big screen in the background mm-hmm. where it kind of works. Uh, but, no, oh, well, I like the feel of it. I thought it looked a lot better. I mean, uh, Dave, you mentioned this on, I think you mentioned this on the Smackdown on Fox podcast. It was one of that, or maybe the, one of the, what the other podcast. I can't remember about it, how Performance Center was feeling stale. Ah, yeah, uh, I did yeah, see that, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of similar to this one. Obviously, NXT is always there anyway, so they've always got the same atmosphere, but you go for, when you've got no fans and it's just, uh, you know, trainee talent there, and, and during a pandemic, people get exhausted. The things a lot eat quicker, so mm-hmm. I think the shake up by that one and merit look like that looks a lot better. But it, it looked cool. I liked it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, John, we've uh, we on the podcast have each said our piece about you know what we think of the the sort of Thunderdome setup, and now we could say the same for the Capital Wrestling Center. But I want to get what's what's your overall opinion on the sort of Thunderdome setup that WWE's taken from SummerSlam. I was always wondering where they were going to go uh, from the performance center and the the giant fan that was hanging above them, and and how they were going to change it up. AEW started to bring that that new kind of vibe with with Daly's place, and now where where were they going to go? They got the Thunderdome, and I thought that was a really good step. To be honest, it was a nice way to to modernize it and keep things safe. It looked good. It was very flashy. And, and it was it was very WWE, wasn't it? it? You know, it was it was all bells and whistles, the pyro going off and everything looking very, very, very sweet and, and smart. Um, so I thought it was a good step to to do that. And it was a nice way to kind of get people involved as well. You know, I think we all know the situation. I don't think things are going to change. I was going to go to WrestleMania this year as well. Oh. And I was, abs- I was devastated. It was like my first holiday in ages. And, and when I found out about it, I was like, oh, yeah. but it's, it's the situation, isn't it? And I mean, yeah, we all know what it's like. I don't think, yeah, we're going to get many fans into arenas for a, a good while, which is mm-hmm. a, a real shame. Um, again, another podcast, another debate, and a, a different time. Mm-hmm. But I do like what they've done. I like this Capital Wrestling Center as well. I like what they, they, they've done to make it look a little different. I kind of imagined it to be 
a little bit like NWA Power. I thought it was going to be more like studio wrestling. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That kind of setup. But what they've done, I think, looks really good. And uh, letting a few fans in safely. I know there's been some socially distant concerts in Newcastle over the past uh, past few months, which seems to have gone quite well. And they were a similar setup. You had that kind of pen and you know the few chairs in there. Everyone has masks and whatnot. Um, it looks That's good. I think they're doing a good thing with it. And, and again, keeping the talent in there as well, keeping the NXT talent in. Uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens when they move from the Amway Centre, because I believe that contract's coming to an end, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's uh, they've only got it till the end of the year. And there was talks that they were going to go back out on the road again Yeah, uh, for live events. Uh, and I've, I've said this numerous times on previous shows, like why on earth would you go traveling across the States when Florida has the highest number of, well, one of the highest number of cases in the in the states at the minute it's it, a petri it, dish yeah it's <laughs> isn't it a petri dish turning into a super spreader event going into different venues it's probably not a wise decision but you actually mentioned you know that concert in newcastle you're talking about the, the the one hosted by virgin money yeah 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 that's it yeah i know which one you oh, mean it's here the, we go here we go do you know i work do you know i work for virgin money <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I have no idea yeah well that's uh, that's my day job so i'm uh, actually call the corporate yeah corporate lines <laughs> running there but you mentioned it again just to just to get this last point about um they they want to get back out on the road mm-hmm you know that's one of the first things in Vince's mind, isn't it? And it's because he wants to be the first person to do that. He was the first person to host a major event, a major gathering of people after 9-11. He was the first person to do a whole bunch of different things. He wants to be the first person to host events on the road after the, the coronavirus mm. pandemic. He, yeah, I'm sure that's in his mind. I mean, he, is, a bit, he, is, a, he is an egomaniac. I think he'd yeah. try to do anything to, you know, stroke his own ego, you know, make him feel like he's accomplished something spectacular in a time of crisis. Yeah, absolutely. And it's... Yeah, you just want everyone to be safe. It was, it was the same situation back then, same situation now. You just want everyone to be to be safe. And, that, you know, I'd, I'd be a bit strange going into arenas and, and whatnot. I'd still feel a little bit funny. I'd still feel weird going into into a gym yeah, at the moment. Yeah, I get where you're coming from. Uh, but let's, uh, let's turn our attention back to TakeOver now. And I'd like to sort of go around all of you and just get, first of all, your your overall opinion of the show, and then we'll delve into some of the key... Uh, key moments from that show. Scott, what did you think of TakeOver 31 overall, like as a whole? Like, did you have any particular favorite matches or moments that really stood out to you? Uh, I really enjoyed the show overall for, for what it was. I felt bad for NXT because I think you could be forgetting that there was a TakeOver because two weeks of the build were kind of hindered by the fact they had to crown a new champion and then quickly rush a new number one contender after that. So it didn't really have a lot of, didn't even give it a time to give it a proper name. It just took like, well, last one was 30, this is 31. Uh, but I think overall they did as good as they could. I don't think it'll be remembered as one of the better, the best takeovers. I think give a few takeovers down the line, we'll probably like, oh, I mean that one where Kayla Riley was in the main event. Nothing against Kayla Riley for his performance. It was a great match, him and Finn Balor. One of my favorite matches, I think, was the Kushida match because I think it's the kind of match that Kushida needed because he, he was almost in danger of being like when Kenta came to WWE, he, his run was hindered by injuries. Then Kushida got injured, so he needed for his first take were a big match. A lot of people uh, assume that this is a Kushida heel turn, the way he finishes this on uh, Dream, I think. It's just a case of he's like, to try to showcase a new like intensity for Kushida because like the hoverboard lock should be built as a dangerous move. He's got an MMA background as Kushida. So I think he was just like portraying him as more than just the guy who likes Back to the Future. 
Mm. Yeah. Uh, Stevie, any any key moments that stood out for you? Even though, you know, as Scott mentioned, you know, there was uh, not as much build towards this one with literally just a couple of weeks to put a, a pay-per-view worthy card together. Yeah, I agree with Scott. I didn't really feel that the build was takeover worthy. You know, up until the, the show, obviously, there was a lot of things getting crammed into it. And, you know, it was kind of like Johnny Gargano just got randomly chucked into a title match. You know, there was no real lot of build to that. There was Battle Royal and a gauntlet to crown the other two number one contenders. Santos Escobar and Isaiah Scrub Scott have been feuding on 205 Live and they just got announced like, oh, they're going to face a takeover. Like, we've not seen them on NXT in three weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, I thought the show was really good. It was really enjoyable. Uh, I think NXT, it's continued a theme. The takeovers, as Scott said, they're maybe in about a year's time, we might not remember these ones during the pandemic era. But they're not been bad pay-per-views. I mean, he mentioned the Kushida match. That a lot of people would have re- highly regarded that match if it wasn't for Kushida's opponent and what he's been accused of in recent months. Uh, a lot of people hate. I see a lot of hate about Damian Priest. I thought he put on an absolute blinder in that opening match. I thought he really, really turned up against, you know, the arguably the greatest takeover performer of all time in Johnny Gargano. And main event. Kyle O'Reilly, you know, he's never been in a single main event. He's never, I don't think I've ever seen him since. He took on Alistair Black very early on when he signed for NXT. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've barely ever seen him in a singles match since then, other than until these recent weeks, but yeah. I, think the I only, got it. The only other singles match I've seen him compete in was in, I think it was 2018, before War Games. He had a one-on-one match with... Uh, Ivar or Hansen from the Viking Raiders to determine who got the advantage? Uh, I've got enough to say about day two later on. Uh, but <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I seen a, the one thing I've seen online is it was not the takeover style main events that we've seen in recent years where it was the whole big move, big spot, kick out the finishers, you know, bang, bang. What's been described as a Triple H Shawn Michaels special. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't that match. The two of them just beat up to each other. Mm-hmm. Submission, ground based, technical. It was a See if this match had happened a year ago, or if it happened on Dynamite, you would have heard a lot more about it. Oh yeah, definitely. And uh, so just to follow on that, uh, John, the the main event's obviously been getting a lot of praise. Uh, Like maybe to the casual WWE viewer, you wouldn't expect to see Kyle O'Reilly in a main event singles match for the the brand's top championship. But I think this, I want to get your thoughts on this, but do you think this match really either over-delivered or over-performed to what people were expecting? I think it definitely over-delivered. Um, it was great. I, I loved it. Um, I, I like those kind of matches, though. I thought it was great. That kind of hard-hitting... They, them two just beat the snot out of each other, didn't they? It was, mm. it was great. And and a lot of kind of submission work. There's some great kind of heelish work as well from, from Balor when he was playing the guitar on his arm when he had him in the armbar. Uh, really like that. Um, yeah, they beat the hell out of each other, but the, it, it was a totally different match, as, as you said, same thing before. Like, it wasn't the big spot, that whole kind of thing. It just lo- looked good. It was really solid, tight, ground and pound submission wrestling. It looked brilliant. And those two guys really pulled it off so, so well. And yeah, obviously, the injuries that apparently came out of the back of it, the, the Finn's jaw and uh, Kyle getting his teeth rattled out and, and whatnot. Mm, yeah, yeah those, they, guys, those guys did put on a hell of a show. They did really well. Yeah, the injury report says that uh, Kyle O'Reilly actually had some uh, some chipped teeth and Balor possibly some facial fractures. So, you know, both showing the, the scars of war. They're both bleeding from the mouth. And you, you knew that, you know, just from the 
the spots they were doing. It was a very hard-hitting contest, so I'm not surprised they haven't walked away with a few bumps. Ballard are sore in the morning. Ballard apparently fin uh, calls the finish on the fly. Apparently they were meant to go for yeah. another couple of minutes, five, minute, uh, five minutes, <laughs> but he called the finish early because the two of them were absolutely gubbed. You know, absolutely battered them. Battered yeah, them. it did. It did. That finish did feel a little bit rushed, as if something was missing from it. I was wondering what that was all about. Yeah, it's just that they were, they, they could, they were, they were absolutely battered. I mean, they keep referring to that shot to the liver. You know, mm. I don't know if that was just in the plan. Oh my God, he got that, winded when he got winded. Yeah, yeah he, he went through like a sack of ties. It's like, mm. what? And he kept going, he, he kept going, and kept doing everything. I don't know if that was part of the script or then, mm -hmm. or if he actually did take a win to it, but. Yeah, right. but in the uh, with every uh, takeover, we tend to get a few surprises or faces in the crowd. But we ended up getting two surprises, uh, Scott. We had um, the return of two of the most uh, dominant women in NXT and NXT UK. We have uh, Tony Storm made her presence known after Io Shirai defends the women's title against Candice LeRae, and then we had the mystery uh, sort of Tron-looking superstar who came out on the motorcycle, and it turns out to be Ember Moon who we haven't seen in over a year because she's been dealing with an Achilles tendon injury. I, are you surprised to see either of those two back in NXT Full Sail? Entirely surprised. I think a lot of people thought it would be Ember Mundit. She was one of the favourites. Oh, Dallas is another name mentioned. Uh, the Toy Storm thing is a bit more surprising because like, at first it seemed like, was she this, this former like champion of the 80s? Because she has a former NXT UK women's champion. It was kind of like, okay, I guess I wasn't expecting. That wasn't the return I thought it was going to be, but you know, it'd be nice to see her back. It has been like some time. I think Robert World's Collide was the last time we really saw her on the, the main NXT. And then when Ember Moon came back, like, and then she took off the helmet, I made a joke that given the outfit she was wearing, and I thought, like, and the way her hair was done, I thought, Jesus, she does look like Tina Turner from Mad Max 3 entering the Thunderdome, ironically. I think she described that return as uh, simply the best, but I think that given that how underused she's, she's been. On uh, the main roster, like the peak of her real run was getting a, a match with Bailey at SummerSlam 2019 for the, the women's title. Even then, mm -hmm. that match really didn't deliver as much as we hoped. And then again, injuries have slowed her down. I think she, she does need to go back to NXT because really, her NXT run really didn't work out the way you thought. I mean, she didn't beat Asuka. She kind of got, she was the only other person after Asuka left to, that could really carry the title. And as soon as she was done putting over Shane, it's like, oh, yeah, up, up you go then. <laughs> yeah, uh, Stevie, talking about Ember Moon for a second, you know, I think Scott said said it clearly. You know, she didn't beat Asuka, she didn't uh, she didn't beat Shayna Baszler. Oh, well, she did in some aspect, but not in the sort of end result. Uh, as we've seen with a few sort of made like sort of Raw and SmackDown talents returning to NXT to sort of reinvigorate themselves, do you think this was a much needed uh, uh, decision for for Ember Moon to return to NXT? Yeah, I think it's natural because I think we've acknowledged in the past in this show, women's division NXT is really good, but we're looking at kind of a transitional piece potential in that one. We've had Mercedes Martinez and Mia Yim, they're part of Retribution, you know, Blazer 2, Blazer 3, whatever their names are. <laughs> um, Ratchet and Clank. Uh, oh, that was a fair one, I like that. Um, we've got, um, who's the other ones? Uh, uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, Rhea Ripley and Candice LeRae as well potentially getting called up so there's a bit of a gap there and you know Ember Moon's somebody who she was out of the bubble a wee bit on Smackdown you could also argue as well Smackdown could probably use her because mm -hmm. you know their women's division sucks uh, I think that's where Candice and Johnny are going to go but that's, a, that's another thing 
Uh-huh. That's for the draft. That's for the draft show. Uh, but yeah, Emma Moon. It was a nice shot to the arm, as you say. She was a good talent down there. You kind of feel like she's got a bit of unfinished business because she didn't really do much. The Asker not not being able to beat Asker Hutter. In terms of Tony Storm, couldn't get an F about Tony Storm. I saw it. She's. I love Tony Storm back when she won the May Young Classic, which the fight which kind of works with the Harden Shirai now because she's got a natural place to say that she should be challenging Shirai because she's beat her all the years ago. Aye, Tony Storm but, was the one who actually beat Iwo Shirai in the final of the 2018 Yeah, but she's done bugger all since then. She went. To, she decided, I've won the May Young Classic, so I'm going to go to NXT UK and take my shot, which, fair enough, you're establishing the brand, but if you're winning a tournament like that, you know, you should be going. You should be speaking higher than the fans to NXT UK. She loses the tournament to Ripley. No, Ripley. She eventually beats Ripley for the title, and then just kind of loses it to Kayleigh Ray, and then it just kind of floats. Mm. You know, I feel like her momentum from where she was in the May Young Classic has dropped significantly, and I don't think she should be at the front of the queue. She needs to work away from the bottom of the queue. She could be having matches with the likes of Shotzi Blackheart, Dakota Kai, you know, even, you know, some of the other ones on that brand, like Aaliyah, younger developing type of talent. She could be Zia Lee as well. Zia Lee, yeah, Casey Catanzaro. She should be go- she should not be going to the top of the queue, but at the same time, you know, who else would there be other than obviously Moon and Ripley? Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, John, we've spoken on past shows about the, the depth of NXT's women's division. We would say it's head and shoulders above what Ron Smackdown are producing right now. And there's always these sort of ifs and buts when it comes to the upcoming draft. But have you ever thought there could be some potential oversaturation of talent when it comes to NXT's women's division, given that Tony Storm and Ember Moon have made their presence known? Yeah, you, you, you just wonder kind of, you know, who is going to be that one standout competitor for EO Shrine there is a lot in there isn't there that's kind of floating around and yeah it's, it's never no disrespect to her it's never going to be Aaliyah you know she's she's in that comedy role now isn't she with the Robert Stone brand mm. um, it, it's never going to be her Zia Lee I don't uh, you know I've, I've seen enough of her and I think she looks pretty good but they've not invested enough there Mercedes Martinez is still oh she's she's gone up to Retribution or whatever um uh, Raquel Gonzalez, that's the one I was thinking of. Um, she's still around. Dakota, Dakota Kai, you know, probably should have been up there. And for whatever reason, it's just kind of like, go up, up, back down again. And now you've got another two coming in who essentially need a reboot. It's, it's again, it's another long path to get to Io Shirai where she needs something kind of right now. And there's no, there's, there's too many cooks spoiling the broth, as the old saying would, mm-hmm. would, would go. Yeah, who'd you pick? I think some of them would be great to go on to, to other shows, but again, they're going to need that full introduction again, aren't they? They're going to need that full reboot, and I think Tony definitely needs a reboot in NXT. I think Emma Moon needs a reboot in NXT now. You, and and these two can't be rushed. I, I think Tony's got something. She's got a connection with with fans, and especially a lot of younger fans as well. Uh, I, I think Ember Moon definitely has a lot of potential, but she's been off TV for so long people need to remember who she is mm-hmm. and yeah. and re-establish yourself in the ring as well not just because of who she is so yeah there's there's a lot of female talent it's, it's a great pool of talent but there's a there's a lot mm-hmm. yeah i mean i think the one thing that really supports ember buddha is like she's got a devastating finishing move in the form oh, of the eclipse 
Yeah, it looks brilliant, doesn't it? It looks so good. Once she hits that, it's it's a real wow moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the standout things about Ember Moon, and that and her her character. Now that she seems to be going with the the whole motorbike, the mm. sort of Mad Max motorcycle theme. I think this could be an interesting direction for her character. But I think those were sort of some of the main uh, takeaways we got from Takeover. Uh, so now we're going to move on to the sort of more prime time shows. Now uh, we'll start with uh, Raw and SmackDown now, and the biggest, uh, the biggest, uh, what's the word? Result we got from Monday Night Raw is that Mustafa Ali has been revealed as the leader of Retribution. Now, Scott, we've been we've been talking rubbish about Retribution and how poorly they've been booked uh, in the past few weeks, but now that it's been revealed that Mustafa Ali is going to have a central role as part of this group, do you think this is a potential? second coming for Retribution, given that they've had to be off TV the last two weeks because of isolation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, a, it was a big thing about having to take this big anarchist faction that were on roughshod and then try to explain, oh yeah, they've been gone for two weeks in a kayfabe sense. But yeah, I think it, it, it accomplishes two things. It makes Retribution more interesting now you've revealed basically who's kind of behind it and who's leading it and it gives Ali something to do. Like, he was off SmackDown for so long, we all thought he was going to be the hacker. Then he gets drafted to Raw and nobody realised that then it's only taken him until recently to finally be featured on Raw. So it's a case of, like, somebody who has an actual grape with with WWE, like, actually leading this this group who we've mentioned, well, this guy is a grape, but what's this guy's issue with WWE? And I, ho- I do hope that they do tie this into the whole, like, SmackDown hacker thing, because mm-hmm. they could accomplish a, a lot with that. and. I think with Ali's like videos that he's showing on like social media that don't always get shown on, on WWE TV, he, he can cut a really good promo, so he's just gonna be the mouthpiece and I think if anyone can help make this make sense uh, from a booking standpoint it can be Mustafa Ali. Mm-hmm. And Stevie, Scott brought up a really, really good point about, you know, Mustafa Ali, you know, he was brought back to Raw uh, sort of in the middle of the summer, but he then basically got relegated to shows like Main Event and stuff and wasn't featured prominently on TV. Uh, and he has come out on social media a lot and venting frustrations about saying, oh, I'm main event Mustafa, I should be on TV, not be relegated to these sorts of matches. Do you think him taking the role of Retribution's leader is sort of like art imitating life in a very sort of blurred way? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great shit to have him as a leader of Retribution. Uh, I'm a massive fan of Mustafa, I believe. I've been a massive fan of him since he's 205 Live days. Him and Buddy Murphy made that brand at one point. They were absolutely fantastic chemistry. Love to see them go at it again on Raw. The same, they're both in the, the brands. But I've seen a lot of things online the last couple of days about this, and there's a lot of theories into this that makes so much sense to me. If you look at Mustafa Ali, if you look at the kind of year he had, I think it was 20, 2018, it would have been, he was meant to be in that Elimination Chamber match. And he got injured by Orton, never went in the match, lost his spot. He was potentially going to be the guy challenging at WrestleMania. Kofi Mania was meant to be his spot, apparently. So I can understand why he'd be annoyed. He was in Money in the Bank that year, had the briefcase at his fingertips. Mm-hmm. Then Lesnar came out and took out everybody, even cameramen. A wild Brock Lesnar, a wild Brock Lesnar appeared. <laughs> yeah, annihilated it. Then he's had that spell recently where he's just not been featured anywhere at all. He's a natural fit. He was meant to be the hacker as well, so. Mm-hmm. And that angle get dropped, so you could be annoyed by that as well. And if you look at the guys in retribution, if you kind of have him as the focal point, then you've got the other guys beneath it. It makes a bit more sense because you've got the likes of you got Dijakovic, who was in that feud with Keith Lee last year that everybody loved. But everybody always nobody talks about Dijakovic. They all talk about Keith Lee. Uh, they talk about Keith Lee. Now. 
Mm. Yeah. You could deal Madden, who did no bad on the raw commentary, got took out by Brock Lesnar, never sweated off again. Shane Form was meant to be in a tag team with Brandon Vick, and he was going to be MVP's protege. And MVP dumped him for Lashley and Shelton Benjamin. I mean, Lashley, fair enough, but Shelton Benjamin in 2020. <laughs> uh, Mercedes Martinez got knocked away. Uh, she lost to Rhea Ripley and got kind of ditched aside by the Robert Stone brand. That's enough to make you go mental. And Mia Yim, when she was feuding with uh, Shayna Baszler, nobody took care seriously at all. She was meant to be in the War Games match last year. She got took out and then her chance was gone. If you've got a focal head like Ali, who's got the long-term you know, angle to it, it makes a lot more sense. Just ditch the stupid names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, now, John, obviously the guys have mentioned the the unfinished hacker angle that was used quite a lot on SmackDown. Uh, but now that Ali's sort of been taking, has now got this role in Retribution, it, it sort of makes you wonder, do you think, uh, would you have rather have seen the hacker storyline or do you think this uh, this Retribution angle uh, is a good way to make up for the fact that it looked like Mustafa Ali was going to be the hacker? I don't know whether you saw the, uh, the tweet from WWE on Fox that they put out on Monday night. Did you see that? Uh, what, what, which one was that? They said uh, Mustafa Ali has hacked into Retribution. Ah. Uh, or it was along them lines anyway. They used the, they used the word hack and they put that word hack in capitals. So whether that was like them sort of foreshadowing what was going to happen or kind of like looking into the future with this or, or knowing something that nobody else did or them just making a really, really good joke. Um, it, it, it is interesting. I mean, like... Like Stevie was saying then, there's so many things that you could write into this now. And the hacker storyline was fun. And I understand why it kind of got dropped to the sidelines with everything that's been going on in the world. Um, so to kind of... I'm hoping he'll, he'll bring it up and say it was him and make a claim for all this. And use all that stuff that's been mentioned. I mean, WWE doing long-term, long-term storytelling. Is that really going to happen? Might happen. Um, but if he, if he can bring that into it, then yeah, it'll make sense that he's got a grievance and it would put him up there as a, a great talent. I, I I don't like him as a heel though. I think he's he's such a great face and he's such a great talent. And he's got so much, many other things to offer away from the ring. But I think he's perfect as as that kind of, you know, this leader. Again, I wish they'd ditch the silly names. I am hoping that he's going to like bring everybody back out with him and say that this is the reason we're doing this oh by the way this isn't crowbar or whatever he's called <laughs> this is dominic dijakovic he is one of the legit the most badass people i've ever met in my life this is mia yin she's a con you know it's the rose that, that grew through the concrete you know she's she's such a badass and I, that's how i hope he's going to introduce them but yeah i think if he takes all those little elements and brings them up and then people go, oh yeah, oh there was that hacker, wasn't there? That what? It was you. I forgot mm-hmm. about that. It'd be nice if they kind of did that and and maybe threw some the video package together. That Stevie, you mentioned those moments. How good would that be as a package for him to introduce work. that? It would work great. But you know, fine, well, they're just gonna come out going, I was fed up with the hot business beating me and ricochet up every week. Yeah. And they made up half the stuff for the retribution area, like, oh, we've got contracts because it was easier than paying off security to get beat up by us every week. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. So I mean, there's got to be some plausible reason why Ali is the boss here. Yeah. yeah there is, it's this, this kind of story just writes itself. And I think if WWE actually got their, like, got their thumb out, 
and you know actually made something interesting of it i think it would completely skyrocket retribution to be the talk of the town and even though the heart business is the one that's kind of just uh is the most talked about thing on raw at the minute it's there's so much opportunity for retribution to be the most talked about thing but yet they're just they just don't seem to be doing it it's it's a real shame because there's a ton of potential there yeah, and you mentioned Shelton Benjamin in 2020. Who would have thought in 2020 we're talking about MVP as one of the top stars on Raw? Mm. <laughs> what is yeah. that about? I mean, they've they've made, they've took they've took trash and turned it into into treasure, really. And they can easily do the same thing with Retribution. They just need to have put a bit of creativity behind it. Chicken uh, poop into chicken salad, as Steve Austin would say. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but one of the other stories we've uh, seen come out of uh, Raw this week, and I think it was a tweet that was put out earlier today or late last night. And it looks like both Viking Raiders are now out of action with surgery because Eric uh, has tweeted that he's had surgery to remove a, a surgical screw from his triceps. Uh, I believe this was from his motorcycle accident years ago. Uh, but he's now going to be on the shelf for some time along with his partner, Ivar, who's uh, had neck surgery recently. So he's going to be out for best part of uh, probably close to a year now. Uh, Scott, do you think... Uh, Obviously, Raw's and SmackDown's tag team divisions aren't great at the minute. Do you think this is a heavy loss for, for Monday Night Raw? Yeah, it was already a bit of a loss, but it was just going to be Eric on his, his own because then they're breaking up tag teams or they're not featuring certain tag teams, which is why they, that's why they, you know, they big up Hero with Street Profits, longest reign Raw tag champs, or who the hell you've got to face at the time. And looking at it, I think it's a wise decision from Eric to... Like go away and get this thing that he apparently has been putting off for some time while Ivar's out and they come back. Maybe he can do some stuff on his own to kind of bide the time while uh, while until Ivar comes back. But at least it's not a case of what we've seen before. Somebody gets injured and their tag partner just gets taken off TV for no reason. He's got a good reason to be off TV because before that he was just like popping up occasionally in Raw Underground. And even then, they're not, they're not, not doing Raw Underground that uh, frequently because they've had issues getting like extras in because of COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Stevie Scott mentioned Raw Underground, where Eric's been competing solo. Like, do you think if he comes back, uh, if he comes back earlier than expected, you know, and he has to sort of take on a bit of a singles role, do you think that's where he'll be ending up? Yeah, I don't know, David. We're Raw Underground within two weeks without it. I mean, I know we've got the COVID stuff without it, but you know what it's like with Vince in his head? I mean, if they don't do that for about two or three weeks, Raw Underground will be back again. It's just, it's... The concept's decent when it works, but I'm not 100% sure it will be back. Mm. Uh, I'm not 100% confident. Back to, on the note of the uh, Viking Raiders, those absolute sewers of bastards. Two of them getting injured when they're my tag team in the draft this season, you know, it's it's a killer for me, you know. But, mm. that's no, Scott's right, it makes sense. We, that, we noticed that with the Usos, I mean, Jimmy got injured and it's took till now for him to use Jay and probably that's because of Roman Reigns so Roman Reigns has probably said Can I, I'll want to fight with my cousin uh, we've seen it years past with uh, the Office of Pain as well when they were there so I don't blame don't blame Eric for doing it if he comes back he's a, he's, he's a good hitter he'd be a good hit hand to throw in some sort of undercard feud undercard match uh, he could be I don't know but um, if he's I'd rather he's gets help for what his injury is as opposed to him just sitting and catering mm-hmm. yeah uh, just uh, one last point on this John uh, obviously now that the Viking Raiders are out of action do you think this highlights how thin uh, Raw and Smackdown's tag team division is uh, compared to say it's uh, it's men's or women's divisions oh that 
tag division is so thin, it's unbelievable. Who is there? Who is there apart from the Street Profits? Well, Rollins and Murphy have now split up. All that's really left is Dominic Mysterio and Uberto Carrillo. <laughs> that's pretty much it, isn't it? Because I think Garza and uh, Andrade, yeah, uh, they're, they're, they're done, aren't they? So, yeah, they're done too. Yeah, the, the Street Profits are just ruling everything. There's, yeah, it's, it's sad that they've not got any established tag teams. And yeah, you can throw back to to way back in the day when there were so many that the, the, the pool was stacked like the women's roster in NXT as you said before and yeah it, it really does highlight how how either they don't care about tag team wrestling whatsoever mm-hmm. like or, AEW, in comparison AEW has got like I don't know like, millions. <laughs> like, like at least 15 different tag teams it's insane yeah they seem to like yeah do something with it at least and I know that yeah, they, they've got people at the top, and and there seems to be those this similar teams interchanging all the time. But yeah, it, I, it it's sad because the tag titles in WWE should mean something. Yeah, they they should they've been on legendary teams in the past. Legendary wrestlers have had them, and yeah, they should they should have something. But there isn't. I mean, NXT has some, but you start bringing them up, and again, you've got to build them. And and then the Street Profits are so popular, they're just gonna they're not gonna lose. Yeah, they're not going to lose to them. So you need a, a real credible challenger, and I don't know where it's going to go with that. I mean, for me, I'd just merge the two tag titles together and mm. have one across all the brands. Yeah, I think that's quite a quite a good shout there. And it has the idea has been thrown around on on the podcast before, but yeah, there's no need for was it three tag team t- championships they've got one for the women's division, but that's across all the brands. Yeah, I think they need to do something equivalent with the the men's men's yeah. one. Maybe just recreate. Yeah, just recreate what the women's tag team titles look like, but give them a, a black strap instead of a white strap. Like they do bring with the, the old school titles back. Yeah, bring those bring those back. They look really cool. Mm, those uh, old belts were great. Bring those back. Those bronze ones were just horrific, by the way. The, the two P's, yeah, the two yeah, pennies. The two yeah. P belts, yeah. <laughs> what about yeah. the team for Raw? Uh, it seems weird at the minute that the Hurt Business aren't going after more gold. You've got last with the US yeah. belt. We can put... Cedric and Shelton against Street Profits. They make totally. more sense than Dominic and Bloody Umberto. I think Good show, stick, yeah. You can stick a laser and taser together. Aye. <laughs> Retribution, they're like, there's like 10 of them, you know, get at least, just pick any of those two to go for the tag titles. It's a wee... Flapjack and, and uh, I don't know, the, the Maze, whoever the other one is. Yeah, France. Franz the Manakovich the villains. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, not the ninjas. Not the ninjas. <laughs> not the ninjas. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's uh, that was Monday Night Raw. Let's uh, let's jump over to SmackDown now. And I think this was briefly touched on before. The feud between uh, Roman Reigns and Jey Uso. Now, Scott, we, we've spoken about Night of Champions, uh, or Clash of Champions, I should say. And Roman Reigns adopting this tribal chief sort of figure even though Paul Heyman's there as his mouthpiece, when I think it was pretty evident that, you know, the given how well they told the story in that match, it almost makes it seem like they didn't even need to um, to have Paul Heyman there. Like, do you think this, uh, this storyline's going to be probably one of the best that SmackDown's told this year? Yeah, it's one of the storylines that the Sasha Bailey thing and whatever's happened with The Fiend and Alexa... It's really like helping carry SmackDown by comparison with what's happened with Retribution up until Ali. It's really like night and day the comparisons in quality and that. And I know a lot. I've heard a lot of people saying, "Oh, why does Roman need uh, Heyman being clearly top for himself?" I think Heyman explained it himself in an interview 
when he was we talked about the comparison between when he was with Punk and with uh, with Lesnar. He says Lesnar isn't really one for talking, so he does his talking for him. He's like his lawyer. Whereas basically with Punk, it's a case of he can talk, he, but he's got somebody now to bounce off of. So it's basically two good talkers kind of bouncing off each other. I think that's what he's getting with with Roman, as Roman's getting kind of more accustomed to this new role. I think from a storyline perspective, yeah, people probably won't talk about the matches for their like moves. I think from the storyline perspective, it's the best storyline going. Mm-hmm. Right now. And I think it's a case of like they don't want to rush in Roman versus the Fiend as they've been teasing. So like, let's continue this J Roman story. And it's weird that Roman's the one who says, "Ah, you can have another shot." <laughs> Yeah, it is a bit of a weird build, but it's intriguing though. I think that's the the word we're looking for. Now, Stevie, are you excited for this rematch that they've got going on at Hell in a Cell? And if so, do you think they'll actually bring in the cell for that, or do you think it's not necessary? Um, don't think it's necessary. I could, I can't. I think if they're going to do, there's only one match they're currently building that deserves Hell in a Cell. It's Bailey Sasha. Mm-hmm. I don't think any other match in the full company deserves a Hell in a Cell. But or even if they did, uh, if Rollins and Murphy's thing accumulated, I could take that in Hell in a Cell. But I don't think this needs it at all. It would maybe add an extra element because they fought once before. But at the same time, it would be rushed. But also on the other flip side as well, the two of them have got good history in Hell in a Cell. Romans had a lot of matches in there. Jay also had that fantastic tag match with him and his brother against the UU Day, mm-hmm. one of the greatest Hell in a Cell matches of all time. So. It could work, but it depends what they're going to go long term. There's a lot of rumours that eventually the Usos are going to join Roman in this sort of heel stable. Again, kind of what they had previously, faces only with heels and maybe a couple of other additions. So they would kind of need some way to have Roman wear the two of them down and just go, nah, I'm just going to join you. Now, hell in a cell, we could beat the lumps at them. You could have, you could do a lot of good ones in it. You'd have Jimmy on the outside again. He can't fling the towel in this time. He'd be trying to batter in the cell. I don't think it needs it, but from a storyline perspective, it can work. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, John, obviously, uh, with Hell in a Cell in the last few years, uh, a lot of people have been criticizing the pay-per-view, saying the Hell in a Cell is really only necessary for like a big feud-ending match, as opposed to you know being a gimmick pay-per-view the same time every year. Uh, given what this card is potentially looking like this year, uh, which matches, uh, usually they do about two Cell matches a year, like which two do you think well obviously Drew and Orton's been announced for as a Hell in a Cell match and then obviously we'll probably have Sasha and Bailey there as well but do you think there's any other matches that were probably deserving of the Cell stipulation honestly no I think those are the two ones that really should be in there um, and if this is this is the blow off between Drew and Randy I kind of hope it is I, I almost don't want to see it again mm-hmm. just because I wish Drew would move on to someone else uh, but Randy's doing such amazing work right now I've I kind of understand him being there. Um, Sasha and Bailey, yeah, I think that that's the one that, that deserves it the most. That's had the, the best build out of any of these matches. So I think that's the one that that. Do you know what? Put that as a headliner. But that's the main Put event. That, main event. Main event. The show with that. Um, if you're going to go in with it, I, again, I think it's a bit early. Um, there could have been a lot more with Sasha and Bailey, but the, they're clearly thinking of a bit more of a, a cross appeal thing here Sasha's got her role in The Mandalorian coming out and that's at the end of October that goes on on Disney Plus so she's going to be all over international screens she's going to be all over social media in what looks to be a fairly decent role in that show so they're going to want to put her front and centre but it's it's a bit early for me to have the match but I'd say that should be the main event yeah I don't think any of the others 
really need it. And yeah, the the Roman and J1, I like the Roman storyline. I think it's great right now. I think it's brilliant having Heyman there and the Tribal Chief thing I think is awesome. It's the character he's needed to be for a couple of years, but it doesn't need Hell in a Cell, even though it's meant to have these grave stipulations or whatever. You know, it's, it's these humongous consequences that are part of the this match. Mm-hmm. Whatever they're going to be, I'm sure we're going to find out on, on Friday. But yeah, definitely no other matches need Hell in a Cell there. I mean, if, if you're going to do that, look at the card, just put them all in a cell. <laughs> do an entire yeah, pay-per-view in the cage. Yeah, why not? I mean, they've, they've, they've already killed the Hell in a Cell stipulation all the time. Yeah. If, if, yeah, you're gonna, if, if that's going to happen, yeah, go go full TNA with it. Yeah, pull that <laughs> lockdown. Well, yeah, do the lot. Full lot. Well, we we are in a lockdown after all, so why not just uh, go the whole hog with it? Why not? <laughs> yeah, uh, but one thing that could probably shake things up ahead of you know Hell in a Cell is in this coming Friday is the first night of the WWE draft, Scott. And you know, as you know, mentioned, you know, you had uh, other undercard storylines such as the Fiend and Alexa Bliss, which have been quite frequently mentioned on recent shows on this podcast but I wanted to get uh, do you think I'm not, I'm not asking for specific uh, draft predictions at this stage what I just want you to know uh, what I just want to know is do you think this could potentially change up the card for Hell in a Cell or do you think the, the marquee matches will stay as they are I think the marquee matches will probably stay as they are It'll just the fallout will be different because like you remember they had the uh, the draft Right before the fiend went the the universal title, and then like you was on to be raw run raw's uh, main title, so that had to be changed from red to blue, and then they completely moved Lesnar over to raw after winning the WWE title on SmackDown's like big premiere, as you guys talked about on the last feature show. I'm, I'm the hope for me is that we mentioned how bad the the tag division is on both brand new that can shake it up a bit, maybe some new challenges for the street profits or something like that. And totally like a new challenger for for Drew, maybe someone like an AJ goes over to Raw or something like that. Although the main issue is if you watch the last couple of weeks, people seem to pop up. Uh, well, and Elion goes to like Kevin Owens popped up on SmackDown, I think, then I think they invited the Fiend over to Raw. And then like Drew Gulag, Mandy Rose shop on Raw. Like, are you on Raw? Why not on SmackDown? Who's, who's even on what show? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. like, in the case of like if someone gets drafted to Raw, like, I would have seen in the past two weeks, I thought he was on Raw already. Aye. Yeah, they're sort of using this, they're sort of quietly using the wildcard rule again, having, you know, Raw appear on SmackDown and vice versa. But Stevie, I want to get, um, do you think this has just been like a teaser for what could happen after the draft? And do you think NXT could get involved as well? I'm not sure about NXT getting involved, David. I think you may get a few call-ups on it because there was a, I, think it was, I don't know if it was a WWE Twitter page or the WWE on Fox Twitter page to put up a one who would you like to see go Raw, SmackDown, NXT, and then they get delayed just to say Raw and SmackDown. So I don't know if to put NXT fully in it, but we might see a couple of names from NXT getting up. I did mention Johnny and Candice. Mm-hmm. Don't really have too much left to do down there. Chelsea Green's another one who's still technically an NXT wrestler and she's not been anywhere. I thought she was going to be in Retribution, but she wasn't. So she's another name that could spice things up. So I think. There's some names in the women's division from NXT especially, I think, who could do a job on the main roster there, two of them. Uh, Vanessa Bond as well is another one. She could be a handy person to have in the lower card type idea, but maybe not as a big star. So there's, there's names in there from NXT. Mm. Although it, it does make me wonder, John, you know, why they've not included NXT uh, explicitly in this draft, given, you know, that they were a prominent feature of last year's Survivor Series program. And, you know, as we discussed earlier, you know, Rod SmackDown's like women's and tag team divisions are just so thin at the minute 
like anybody from NXT moving to Raw or SmackDown, we'll not say call up because of anything, you know, because we have some had some people say, you know, moving from NXT to Raw or SmackDown is a bit of a devotion in some aspect. But <laughs> uh, but do you think excluding NXT actually harms them as a brand, given how how heavily featured they were last year? I don't think it harms them to an extent, and that they should be seen. They shouldn't be seen as the feeder system. Mm-hmm. They should. It's it's a legit. I think was, you know you said before. It's like a it's like a territory now, isn't it? It's a legit third brand, and I think that's how they wanted it to be seen. Not having them involved in the draft is it's not the greatest of looks. I guess there's going to be people who are going to turn up. Uh, I know Stevie mentioned Gargano and Candice. Triple H seems to think that they're just getting going with the Gargano way, so I don't think he wants to let them go from NXT. Obviously, it's going to be out of his hands, but I, uh, yeah, I, I just don't want it to be like that, that case of, oh, look at this guy, he's amazing, look at this girl, she's wonderful. Oh, she's come from NXT. And just that kind of like, uh, okay, it's nice, she's come out of nowhere. They've got a whole library of stuff to show people off here. So if they are going to do it that way around, they've got to do it correctly. But yeah, I assume they're going to be involved again at Survivor Series. It's uh, yeah, you mentioned about the uh, going back to takeover the the uh, cruiserweight match. They've been feeding on two hundred five live. They're expecting us to watch the every show and know everything about everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the problem. That why some don't register immediately when they come up. Cause someone I totally forgot about. Um, which is bad because again she's been on main event but they've just started showcasing her again Bianca Belair she should be like an absolute top star on Raw absolute huge star she's that good and yet, yet she's, she's barely yet. been yeah foc- barely been focused on they're not, you know, they're not doing anything with her yeah it's exactly like, they've just started these vignettes now haven't they where they're, they're showing her off as the the EST she's the fastest she's the strongest so they're going showing her like from what they did with the um, the performance center combine which like she dominates every single time they've done it because she's a legit amazing athlete mm-hmm. and it yeah I, I just hope that they're not going to get kind of like harmed by by not being featured and just being you know maybe cherry picked so I, I, I don't want them to be cherry picked like mm-hmm. cherry picked talent I, I don't want that at all yeah. but yeah the other point as well I don't think they're going to really shake too much up with Hell in a Cell the only one thing that could happen and it would blow my main event prediction would be that Sasha gets moved to Raw Ooh. And that would have Bailey going, ah, you can't touch me, you can't touch me, until she wins the Royal Rumble and then challenges her at WrestleMania. You know what? That's actually a very, very good point. Like, have have them on separate brands after Hell in a Cell, and then, yeah, they can pick it up at WrestleMania. I think that's, yeah. I think that just, again, it writes itself. So, yeah, it good does, call. does, doesn't it? Good call. Uh, but, yeah, so we'll, we'll save that again, another podcast, another time. Uh, and I know we're getting wary of time here, so I want to quickly, you know, address some of the other uh, independent promotions we have on this on the in the world. So we've got uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling have actually announced two new tournaments. Uh, Scott, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so they've announced the Best of the Super Juniors and World Tag League, two of their other major tournaments. Uh, but they've also announced that both of them will be happening on the same tour around about the November through to December. And the big thing about the business of Virginia is that basically in the timeline it should have already happened back in the summer due to the big like, end of spring, early summer tournament. But now they're moving it forward and uh, World Tag League usually happens around December. Both match, both are kind of a round-robin format. And I think it's a case of like, they, they know Wrestle Kingdom is going to go ahead in some format 
and so they're just trying to basically like f- rush through these tournaments to kind of get kind of get like challenges for uh, challenges for those for wrestling for the junior heavyweight title and for the the heavyweight tag titles. And it'll be interesting because like we've seen the return of Jay White, Kent, uh, people who are stuck in the US coming mm-hmm. back, and uh, Tamatonga recently tweeted just saying the words World Tag League. So uh, the girls at SC have been working on uh, New Japan Strong, their more US exclusive show. Looks like we're going to get the return of the Girls of Destiny to the uh, Japan if the area would come over. Could we hopefully see the Good Brothers come over back to Japan? Mm-hmm. What's great about the Tag League this year, there's no evil in Sanada. That's <laughs> because <laughs> they keep winning it. They keep winning it all the time. So. I know exactly. Somebody else is going to win it. You know, it'll be, it'll just probably be, it'll be the Girls of Destiny. <laughs> they'll be oh. I suppose, uh, what's our faces when it last year, didn't they know? Uh, Juice yeah, and Finley. Finley and Juice Robinson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, uh, it's, it's all uh, it's all happening for New Japan. You know, they're going to go ahead with Wrestle Kingdom in some format, and they're still in the midst of the G1 Climax as well, so there's a lot going on with uh, New Japan at the minute. But, Scott, you actually mentioned uh, the Good Brothers, and that brings me very nicely over to Impact Wrestling. Now, and it's been pretty busy over there as well because they've just come off the back of Victory Road and now they're on the build towards Bound for Glory which is like their Wrestlemania equivalent as it were uh, so we've got we had Eric Young successfully defend the world title against Eddie Edwards and it looks like he's got a new challenger in the form of former Cruiserweight champion Rich Swan. Uh, but one thing that actually really caught my attention uh, this past week on Impact is that TNA's X Division now seems to be going with an intergender match for uh, Bound for Glory, given that uh, the current champion, was it Roti, what's his name? Rohit Raju. Rohit Raju, yeah. Uh, sorry, I mispronounced that. Uh, it looked like he would, It looked like he had lost the title to Jordan Grace, but obviously being the, the heelish character, he uh, implements a technicality saying it was a non-title match and she doesn't win it. But it's now been announced for Bound for Glory that there's going to be a, a six-person match uh, featuring the likes of other talents such as TJP and a few other names which I haven't got up in front of me, which is a bit annoying. <laughs> uh, Random names. Yokozuna. <laughs> Ultimate Warrior. Let's book a Saudi show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the the subject I wanted to discuss with that is, is that we're sort of... Intergender wrestling's now sort of made a bit of a, a resurgence here. Uh, Scott, do you think, obviously we've seen other companies such as ICW uh, do intergender wrestling. We've seen Candice LeRae compete against male superstars in the past, but do you think intergender wrestling is now going to become something that's going to be more normalized in such a progressive world? I think so, because Impact Wrestling seem very progressive as a company. They're not afraid to put the women in the main event. Like a couple months ago, we had Emergence, where you had an Iron Woman match in the main event. It was a a class match if anyone hasn't seen it. And yeah, now the inclusion of Jordan Grace in the X Division, and I think they've been going back to the whole thing that the X Division was founded on. It's not about weight limits, it's about no limits. So it doesn't matter if you're a woman, man, if you're a heavyweight, junior. Because you've got a good mix in this match. You've got high flyers, you've got powerhouses, a real mix of of talent. So you can do things with the X Division that you can't do with some of the other. Uh, titles. And I think also the thing with Jordan Grace being involved in it is that uh, around this time last year with they had a similar style match, but Tessa Blanchard was involved in it and also the controversy that happened with Tessa. And after that, I think they thought she would be the one to kind of cross from the women's division to the men's division. And I think now they've kind of re- went back to it and think the most believable person after that is probably Jordan Grace. I think she could definitely mix up with the, the guy. I think if they put the exhibition title on Jordan Grace, someone who herself has advocated a lot for intergender wrestling, it could be a good step for 
for Bound for Glory and for Impact Wrestling. And mm-hmm. the thing with Rohit is a lot of these people have like either got opportunities or featured in number one contenders matches against them. And every time they fail, it's basically like, oh, well, you can't lose, so I'm going to fight anybody but you. I'll beat you, so he can't. And now Scott Demore, who's going to play in the Adam Pearce role in Impact, basically said, well, now Bound for Glory, you're going to face all of these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a lot, definitely a lot going on with uh, Impact now. Stevie, obviously this isn't the first time WWE's done, oh sorry, Impact rather, has done uh, uh, intergender wrestling before, because as Scott mentioned before, Tessa Blanchard has uh, has won the TNA World Championship this year by defeating Sammy Callahan. Do you think this is a, another step forward in, you know, trying to promote intergender wrestling as something that's is just as normal as, you know, uh, men fighting men and women fighting women? Yeah, Impact's never been afraid to do it, and uh, they're in a kind of state where they can afford to do it. I mean, you look at the the, the, the two big companies, you got WWE, who will probably never do it anytime soon, while Vince is at the helm, and you've got AEW. Uh, Tony Khan's came out in the past and said that he's not a fan of intergender wrestling, so he might not, you won't see that probably much in AEW, so that then leaves Impact as the next biggest player, so if they, that gives them a bit of a niche that they can kind of do, so if they were to do a bit of intergender wrestling, They've been a perfect place for it. And Jordan Grace, the name you mentioned, she legitimately looks like she could beat any of us up. You know, yeah. she she could batter anybody. You know, it's she's she's a she's an athlete. We talk about Bianca Belair. Jordan Grace is an athlete as well. So mm-hmm. uh, she's a perfect person that would have to do it. And she's not exactly like you know WWE have done a brush with it with Nia Jax. You know, AEW if they had somebody they were going to brush with it, they'd probably end up doing Nyla Rose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, John, I just want to get your thoughts on uh, intergender wrestling, seeing as you know you cover uh, quite a lot of stories in the wrestling world, but intergender wrestling's kind of been one of those taboo subjects, you know, some promotions do it, some promotions don't, but uh, what, what do you think about the, the whole concept of it? With anything in wrestling, there should be a reason for it. If there isn't a valid or good reason to do it, then don't bother. Hmm. Uh, if there is a good reason to do it, if, if it's if it's a legit thing, then then great, go for it. Um, I'm I'm not I'm not offended by it or anything like that. I don't, I, yeah, I think it can work. You know, we've seen like you mentioned before, then Steve, you mentioned Nia Jax with the, the Randy Orton spot. Um, should the thing the the thing with Dean Ambrose as he was on his way out as well, didn't she? Um, if it works, it works. Uh, in the Attitude Era, it seems to be a huge part of the show sometimes but it, it's got to have a reason to be there if, it, if and, and all the talents have to be comfortable with it this the, the whole thing around it has to be right yeah the, and and you've got to be careful where you tread mm-hmm. there's everything about it's got to be right and if it's not right then don't do it mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good way to summarise it. But I want to take this uh, last segment of the show and I'm going to we'll jump over to EEW now. And it is a little bit of a celebration going. So uh, crack open a little bit of the bubbly because we're celebrating 30 years of Chris Jericho. Uh, so I want to take this. Uh, I'm going to make the conversation a bit more lighthearted here. I want to get each of you, uh, because we're celebrating 30 years of Chris Jericho, I want to get some of your favourite moments uh, throughout his entire career, You know, whether it's with WWE, with AEW or anywhere else in between. Uh, Scott, what do you think is some of your best moments with Chris Jericho and how does he, how does his personality sort of convey that over? Uh, there's a lot you, you could talk about. I mean, we, I hosted the, the Jericho show we did in our back gallery last year. It's been over a year since we've done that. Mm-hmm. And like, even since then, he's done a lot. Like with AEW, since become the champion, he's 
he, he's somebody who can blend comedy and seriousness together seamlessly. Like his his list run in twenty sixteen was full of highlights. I remember being at the Raw in Glasgow where there was this, a dark thing with him, Owens, Enzo, and Cass and Seth, and it was just ten fifteen minutes of just utter like comedy gold. Uh, also, you can do the series like I liked his turn in two thousand and eight where he was all casual critical and then slowly started turning serious. You see that the change over his face where he smashed. Uh, Sean through the Jared Sean like 5000 whatever mark that was called uh, <laughs> kind of an homage to Sean what he did to Marty Jannetty and that cracked off again one of his best runs mm-hmm. uh, Stevie any any moments from Chris Jericho's 30 year career that, high, that uh, stands out to you I just love I love his ability to adapt and he can get anything over I mean let's talk about it, the other ones in recent years the stuff he's got over he got the list over he's actually done that twice in his career did it when he was in, with Kevin Owens he did it when he was in WCW as well with the, the list of a thousand so many holes I can't remember the number yeah. when he's feuding with Dean Malenko thousand and uh, four holds yeah thousand and four holds um, brilliant with that uh, his recent stuff in AWWE he's got over the ball of bubbly the demo guy he got a blooming pool of mimosa over with Orange Cassidy even the most horrific insults in the world he can get over and with a crowd like his feuds with Stephanie McMahon mm. see that's that's 20 years ago that all happened and if we were to show that stuff now to the current generation the younger generation the generation we were at that age they would the offence would be something awful but when we watched that back in the day we absolutely loved that stuff but we would probably look back going yeah I probably can't say that anymore I probably can't quote that <laughs> but Nah, he's, he, the way he can get things over is, I think, the best wrestlers in the world, or the best best wrestlers, the best sporters in our tennis, where you want to come, can get over as a heel and a face. Mm-hmm. And he's done both. Yeah, he's done uh, He's done really good. I think one thing you mentioned about the list, you know, he said the 1,004 holds, he had the list, but I think you forgot to mention the, the lexicon of Le Champion. Ah, uh, yes. He got a scarf over as well. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Scarfs, jackets, you know, you basically summarize that you could do anything. Uh, John, the guys have given their views on what Chris Jericho is good at and what he's accomplished over this this really long time. I think this, this time frame, you know, the three of us were probably, like, a lot of us, you know, probably weren't even around at the time. But what was, uh, was any of these moments like the key moment that said, yeah, I like Chris Jericho is the GOAT, the greatest of all time? You know, watching him, like, from seeing all the WCW stuff and, and yeah, <laughs> even, like, looking back when he had Ralphus, his bodyguard, uh, back in the day, and then you, you, you see him debut on Raw and d- deliver that promo with The Rock, and he moves on to do loads of incredible stuff, that cartoonish, yet can move to the heel stuff so quickly. He is, without a doubt, one of the best. I mean, like, the Festival of Friendship, still rates highly as one of my favourite segments I've ever seen in wrestling. It's so much fun. And that turn was just epic. Um, The Shawn Michaels stuff was amazing. But he's definitely one of the best in the business because of his ability to adapt, as you said before. Mm -hmm. His ability to be able to switch between face and heel and still keep it believable. He's not just doing it. He's not just doing it. He can keep it believable. He can put over talent like Orange Cassidy. And he, you know, doing that by throwing himself into a pool of mimosa. I mean, come on. <laughs> he is, without a doubt, one of the best on the mic. He can still go in the ring um, in advancing years, shall we say. Mm-hmm. And he's everywhere he's been, he's made an impact 
and been a main event player, even without titles. And I think that's a that's a sign of a great talent that you can be at the top, but you don't have to hold that title. Mm. Yeah, and, and that makes him, without a doubt, one of one of the best. And yeah, I, I can't believe it's been thirty years <laughs> of Chris Jericho. I mean, that's uh, that that's amazing. And, and you know, congratulations to him for that. And and it's uh, definitely something that should be celebrated. It's without a doubt, one of the best in the industry. Mm. Yeah, I think we can all agree. You know, I think we have to give congratulations for thirty years of Chris Jericho. I mean, that's that's a hell of a shift, and he's still going to. So it's this is going to be thirty plus years and he it looks like he's still got a few years left in him but i think it's adamant you know he's going to be sticking with aew for the foreseeable future uh whether he ends up in the wwe hall of fame you know maybe uh, give it 10 15 years uh, because yeah. we've seen you know past wwe talents go to other promotions and then still get inducted but he's definitely a guaranteed hall of famer in one company or company or another and um yeah it's just uh, here's to however many years he sticks around for uh, and on that note, uh, that's going to do it for us here on ESSR Central. Hope you enjoyed today's show. Uh, and I want to take this uh, opportunity now to thank uh, John Isherwood from Mirror Sport for joining us today. It's been a pleasure to have you on board. Thank you very much for having us, guys. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And if you want to hear more content uh, such as ESSR Central, we also have feature shows uh, coming out every Tuesday. Uh, this week, we talked about one year of SmackDown on the Fox Network. So have a listen to that. And you can find it on Spotify, iTunes, Anchor, Android, uh, all good podcasting sites. Be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Suplex Retweet. And be sure to check out our YouTube channel as well to check out The Conspiracy Theory hosted by the GOAT, David Campbell, and Quiz Showdown hosted by Daniel Campbell. And we've got a new episode coming out in a couple of weeks where our very own Scott McLeod challenges said GOAT David Campbell in a 30-minute Iron Man movie trivia contest. So be sure to keep an eye out for that when it gets released. But all that remains to be said is thank you to my panel. Thank you, Scott. Very much. October 18th. Look out for it. (laughs) October 18th. There you go. Mark it in your calendars. Uh, Thank you, Stevie. Thank you very much, David. And once again, thank you, John, for taking the time to join us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having us, guys. Really appreciate it. All right. And I'm David Hockney. This has been ESSR Central, and we'll see you next week. There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello guys, welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell and in this show you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.